As more shoppers move online, the majority of retailers believe at least 40% of them will stay online, according to a Commerce Next survey from last month. Meanwhile, Simon Property Group plans to reopen half of its indoor and open-air shopping malls. And this just in, subscription services are on the rise. We've got the scoop and more on today's episode. It's Monday, May 18th, and this is your Retail Rundown. Today, we're joined by guests David Edelman and Tony Donofrio. David is the president of TAG, and prior to founding his retail strategy company in 2015, David spent over two decades in senior roles working with major international brands, including Natuzzi, Palazer, Thomasville, and Bauhaus. Tony is the CEO of TD Insights, a respected industry futurist and recognized global top 100 retail influencer. Tony is also a Rethink Retail Advisor and regular Retail Rundown commentator. David, Tony, thank you both for joining today. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. Thank you very much. Great. The first segment we'll go over is about Simon Property. The group is the biggest mall operator in the United States, and they plan to reopen 50% of its indoor and outdoor shopping malls this week. Some of those plans were backpedaled, however, after the mall group received pushback from local governments in hard-hit areas of New York and Indiana. In states where malls were allowed to reopen, such as North Carolina, foot traffic remained light at traditional indoor malls where large retailers like Macy's and Banana Republic remained closed. And questions still linger as to whether reopening anchors will be enough to attract apparel shoppers back in store. There was an interesting survey I ran across by predictive analytics company First Insight and it showed that 65% of women and 54% of men said they will not feel safe trying on clothes in dressing rooms or feel comfortable working with sales associates in store due to the COVID-19 crisis. David, I'll pass this to you first. What changes do you think shopping malls and apparel stores will need to implement in order to regain that consumer confidence? Thanks, Julia. Uh, First of all, I have some firsthand experience with Class A mall clients here in Vancouver, BC here. We have an open-air mall here, which anchors Walmart, Best Buy, and Whole Foods. First of all, let me start by saying all brick-and-mortar stores, I believe, regardless of category, needed to maintain constant contact with their customers throughout the start of this pandemic. And I think this is imperative because what it does, it keeps the customer in constant contact. So they're being apprised of what's happening, any updates. So when the time does come for the retailer to open, the consumer feels much more in line with what's going on and they feel much safer. So trust to me is a determining factor definitely for any brand moving forward during this pandemic. So as far as the mall and retailers, I think number one is safety, of course, uh, without saying that obviously safety is number one. So we have to provide a safe environment and protocols must be in place, but not only by listing them. So Simon Properties has done a fantastic job. I looked at their website by listing all the protocols. It's actually very detailed. However, I think when customers come to the mall, they have to show this. So it's one thing to talk about it, but you have to have to show it. Mm-hmm. So I think signage in place, sanitization stations, one-way exits and entrances for mall and stores, mall staff, enforced sanitizing, handrails, crowd control, social distancing, and customers actually seeing staff everywhere doing this work. I think for apparel retailers, it's going to be very tough, of course, as far as coming back from this. I think that 
one-on-one service with appointments was a way that I had a lot of my clients maintain contact to and sales Mm. with their customers for actually opening. With your customers, with the one-to-one, was that FaceTiming, live streaming, or one-to-one appointments in store? No, this was actually one-on-one service in store with protocols in place. So that's very important that protocols are in place. So offering to wear face masks, having a hand sanitizer at the door, having the customer use the hand sanitizer before arriving, and maintaining safe distance. So those are very important when you do one-on-ones. I do feel, though, however, that obviously online YouTube, like for apparel companies, YouTube videos, showing items, uh, people modeling different outfits, various sizes is also very important as well. Mm -hmm. And you said to keep the customer in contact, constant contact with the brand or retailer throughout this pandemic has been key to being able to drive them back in stores when they reopen. Tony, what are your thoughts in response to David? So to me, it's about one word. I'll repeat it as many times as you can. And uh, David (laughs) said it, it's safety. And I'll repeat it again, safety and safety. And in fact, I'll add, Julie, to some of the data that you stated. First Insight expanded on where consumers feel safest. Malls are ranked last. So they, for 35, only 35% of the consumers ranked mall as where they would feel safest. And right just above them is department stores at 37%. They felt safest in grocery stores and drugstores. So malls have an uphill battle. And they also have a lot of areas where consumers, again, re- reinforcing the data that you said earlier, have concerns. So 65% of women would not feel safe trying clothes in a fitting room. 78% would not feel testing beauty products. 66% would not feel working with a sales associate. So there's a Safety is the number one concern going into stores. So near term, it's all about safety and and really everybody needs to be talking about contactless and figuring out how much contactless experiences and minimizes the areas of risk. So both Macy's and Nostrum, for example, have announced that they're closing portion of the fitting rooms. Gap is actually closing all of them. And uh, to me, what was interesting this week or the past few weeks He's reading the new Nordstrom experience. So this is the Nordstrom experience. Limit the number of people that come into the store, clean every fitting room after use, quarantine clothes that have been tried for a period of time, increase cleaning and sanitizing in high traffic area, plexiglass at checkout, contactless payment, drive-through for pickup, suspend services such as alterations and beauty services, and no more in-person styling. Now we're going to do it virtual. So the world is changing a lot for malls. So there's three things to me that kind of out of all this. One is they have to project that safety message, exactly what David was saying earlier, across everywhere. And for consumers, I think they're going to, near term, they're going to want to smell more bleach and less perfume walking <laughs> yes. into a store. <laughs> One of the things that I see. So, And then second, I think... It's very, very important they focus on training the associates so they're communicating the right level of safety and make the the consumer comfortable. And then third, I think exactly to what David was mentioning earlier in terms of uh, Simon Malls, and you were mentioning on Simon Mall, is being very, very vocal from a marketing point of view, the whole precautions and all the steps that everyone is taking to make a consumer feel safe walking into a mall. Mm -hmm. Great points, Tony. Thank you for looking some of those up. You said Macy's is closing a portion of their fitting room. Nordstrom, which 
traditionally had in-store stylists. Now that's all going virtual. And then you said three things. You have to project the safety message to customers. They want to smell bleached rather than perfume. The cleaning has to be substantial. And then they need to communicate effectively to all their associates. On that third point, do you think that will be a challenge for retailers to effectively communicate with their employees, considering some have been laid off, they're having to hire new staff, things like that? So I do think digital communications improve that. I mean, they should be having a lot of training sessions right now in terms of how you work with customers and when to come into the store, what to do, not to do, to make sure that you carry that safety message, the whole protocol of masks and so on. Because what I've also seen is that it can get very nasty very quickly. And all of us have seen the videos of people walking in the stores without masks. And there was one incident actually in one of the stores where someone broke uh, an arm because they got into a major fight because mm. the person wasn't wearing a mask. Oh my! There's God. a lot of training that needs to be taken in terms of how you handle situations, focusing on safety, but also how do you handle things that can escalate because right now it's an uncertain time for everyone. It's surprising to me personally. I have someone in my network that posted a photo. They were in Marshalls the other day. And now I'm located in Florida where things are starting to reopen. And the line was all the way to the back of the store from the registers. And that was last week. Yeah. And you also saw Julia Chanel in China, long line to get into the store. So I do think apparel and luxury and, and those brands, if they have strong branding, they will be back. Yeah, if I can chime in for one sec, I just think that the brands that have stayed in touch and the brands that have a sense of community, I think they will continue to do well, especially ones with good balance sheets. Of course, we know there are a lot with terrible balance sheets before this virus uh, started, which, uh, which we'll see a big fallout from. But I do think we need to show, not just say. And that's the thing. When people are lined up, we have to be six feet apart. There have to be stickers on the floor. There has to be security. So all these measures, like Tony said, they must be in place for people to feel safe. Absolutely. Before we dive into our next segment, let's hear some good news. Outdoor industry companies, including Patagonia, L.L. Bean, and the North Face, called on U.S. Congress last week to invest in recreation infrastructure to help with the industry's recovery from the coronavirus pandemic. Apple is reopening its first retail location outside of the APAC region in Vienna, Austria. The store is opening with limited hours and requiring safe distancing rules. As part of France's hashtag Protect Your Caregiver initiative, more than 50 famous brands from the fashion industry, including Balenciaga, Chanel, Louis Vuitton, Marc Jacobs, and Karl Lagerfeld are joining forces to auction off garments or accessories to buy medical equipment for hospitals. Jared, the Galleria of Jewelry, is offering a free virtual wedding platform for couples who had to cancel their weddings due to COVID-19. The American jeweler committed to providing 1,000 couples with tools necessary to make a special experience out of an unfortunate situation. Great comments, Tony and David. Now we'll move on to segment two, chatting a little bit about consumer behavior, which has been top of mind as stores begin to reopen. How will people react? How are people feeling? And I know we just touched on that, but last week Adobe released its digital economy index 
which analyzes more than 1 trillion online transactions across 100 million product SKUs. And this is for 80 of the top 100 US digital retailers. And the index showed that digital commerce jumped 49% in April. And as more shoppers move online, the majority of retailers believe at least 40% of them will stay online according to a Commerce Next survey from last month. So even as governments are lifting restrictions, retailers are implementing their reopening strategies, the recovery timeline for in-store traffic remains questionable. And when we look to China, we see that contactless retail incorporates a greater focus on many digital channels, and this includes live streaming. And Tony, since I have you on the show, I, I wanted to bring this up because you're so knowledgeable about the Chinese market from your work history. So if we look at the fact that half a billion Chinese engage in live streaming and Alibaba's Taobao said that just last year, 400 million users watched its live stream shopping shows, which are hosted by brands and influencers, and it generated $28 billion. Will live streaming take off to the same degree in markets outside of China? Well, Julia, that's a good question. And uh, to me, one of the things that, that I follow, very the reason I follow China is China is in a lot of ways is ahead of the rest of the world in digital commerce. And if you want to study examples in terms of what to do next, they actually are taking the lead. So for example, they have 600 million people that use mobile payments. Face recognition is widespread. And in fact, it's now being used more for payment. Cashierless stores are in the hundreds versus we only have in the dozens or less in the US and even more, less in Europe. I do think live streaming has possibility because we have the bones of it, for example, in the U.S. with uh, QVC and home shopping network, but that's not enough. If you look at what the China market is doing with live streaming, it's more about really getting content marketing included in it, having influencers be live, and a lot of entertainment. So hosts are, they're actually celebrities in the market. They're micro-influencers, and they engage very, very heavily with the audience. In fact, during flash sales, they'll, they'll actually call out their followers by name and say, you need to take advantage of this deal now. So there's heavy, wow. heavy focus wow. on entertainment, which to me is a critical component of retail uh, going forward. So it's about making shopping fun. The challenge for the U.S. and other Western markets that, that it's coming in places where it will help in segments that are struggling. So the last forecast that I just saw, department stores will be down 29% this year, and especially self-goods, which includes apparel, will be down 20% this year. So it is a good idea. I'm not sure that the brands that are struggling will have the appetite to invest, to really turn shopping into entertainment with the stats that you cited in terms of the really creating a new channel with live streaming. Mm -hmm. David, what's your take? I know you work with a lot of retailers. Is this top of mind for any of them? In particular right now, I'll be honest with you. Uh, when you mentioned it, I actually researched it a bit because I wasn't as familiar with it as I probably should have been. But I believe they're calling it entertainers. <laughs> so I've seen, <laughs> um, which is a weird uh, name, I know. But we are living in a visual world. We've gone, uh, you know, from typeface back in the old days and script and copy to social media platforms that involve pictures, videos, images, and it's just progressing. I believe a recent study uh, I saw from MIT said that the brain processes 90% of information visually, which really 
shocked me because I thought, you know, we have other senses. But I think this platform by Taobao, I think it's amazing. It makes QVC, I hate to say it, look like it's still in the 1950s. So <laughs> yeah, I, you are right. You are I, right. I, you know, when I watch the show now, I'm like, oh my God, it uh, QVC takes me back now. But <laughs> um, the contrast is severe. But yeah, I think it involves the best of all worlds, really. You can put your best salesperson up there where normally in a retail store, you can't always do that. You can put your influencer up there. You can have actors, live demos, and then sell it right online, right as you're experiencing it. So I don't know what could be better than that. I think adoption might be better amongst Gen Z and millennials as opposed to boomers because they're used to these type of interfaces. But uh, yeah, I, I believe it is the future, but I think it'll take a while to uh, adapt in North America for sure. Mm -hmm. I agree. It will, it will definitely take a while. And I think there's some parallels between Taobao's live streaming and Instagram's live stories. Influencers are constantly sharing products on their live stories and also on their stories in general. So I think that is growing and maybe we'll see some pickup there. But I noted that in China, some of the influencers take up to 30% commission and things like that. And I also had an interview with Ashley Dujironok, who covers the Chinese market, and she said it's not as profitable as you would think for brands to do live streaming. That totally makes sense. But uh, you got to remember that, it, and in fact, we'll talk about this later in some of the other topics, the store is the most profitable place for retail. E-commerce and all these other channels tend to take profit because you end up adding additional cost. And all you have to do is listen to the last Amazon call where they basically made a, a lot on the top line but made nothing on the bottom line because they're spending it all to actually keep the channel going. Mm -hmm. So I do think that, that that live streaming is an example that it gets you there, but it's got to be part of the mix, not the end-all solution. Mm -hmm. And Amazon has dabbled in live streaming, but it hasn't taken off. And a lot of Reports I was reading say that's probably because they're not working with brands that are as well known when you compare it to Taobao in China. But when we think about all the, I mean, the bottom line's not doing well, the the returns are a big topic that retailers are concerned about uh, with the uptick in digital e-commerce orders. But what new habits do you think will be cemented into consumer behavior after the pandemic? So I can start with that. To me, I, I came up with five so far, and I think they, they will keep coming. Uh, the study that I saw, it takes about 66 days to form a new habit, and that's how long we've been in lockdown. So we're creating a lot of different habits. So I think number one is we are going to move more online in terms of shopping, but it's not to the percentage that it's going to take over the world. So Forrester just issued a new forecast post-COVID-19 where e-commerce is going to end 2020 because of COVID, and they only raised it by 2%. So they went from 19% to 21% of total sales. So it's not taking over the world. And the three reasons they cited is most online experience, and we just talked about live streaming, in most of the world, they're mediocre. They're not that great in terms of experiences. Second, consumers like experiences, and they don't like to shop with just one channel. And third, what we just talked about, it's expensive. E-commerce alone is expensive. And that's why you see all these companies diversifying. So that is number one. Number two is greater adoption of contactless commerce. So that is coming. And there's all kinds of ways. And there's key technology evolving to make it possible, such as computer vision, 
smart shells, RFID, artificial intelligence. There's a lot of technology coming at contactless. Third is you're going to hear a lot more about curbside retail. So mm-hmm. we're going to be doing shopping at the curb. And in fact, the second most important technology the retailers are searching for right now is curbside checkout. Number one is home delivery and number three is contactless payment. So how do you actually do retail at the curb is going to be interesting. Then I think the role of grocers is going to evolve and you're going to see grocers and restaurants becoming almost the same in terms of uh, you're going to see a lot more pickups for prepared foods and groceries. And finally, it's actually the trend we're going to talk about next where CPGs, their role in retail is going to evolve. So those are some of mine. Really great key points. Do you want to build on any of those, David, or bring any new ones you were thinking about? I agree with Tony. I mean, I do listen to the studies, of course. I'm, I'm more of a behaviorist, but I do feel that we will see definitely things sticking for sure from online habits. But we're all social beings. I think that no matter what, uh, brick and mortar stores will continue to thrive once we get through this pandemic when a, uh, a cure is found. But I think as far as DTC stores go, I mean, look around you. Um, all of these stores, like Tony said, that have started up that were amazing, like, uh, for instance, you know, Wayfair, uh, Casper, a lot of these stores have great revenue, but they don't have any profit. So, you know, all these investors, VC funds are looking very carefully now at all these companies and all these startups now. How are you going to make money? We have the sales. We can do $100 million. But how are you going to overcome all these costs? How are you going to Mm -hmm. overcome all the returns? How are you going to overcome all of the expenses that you have to pay to be a DTC company. And you mentioned groceries. I mean, Kroger, I I read, is turning some of their stores strictly into distribution centers for pickups. So I know we saw an enormous increase in two days with grocery, but this is what's happening. I was at Best Buy the other day, and uh, there were 25 people outside waiting for curbside pickup. Wow. These poor stores, they, they, it's been <laughs> thrust upon them in a matter of days, and they're trying to do the best they can, including grocery, but a lot of them are failing miserably at it. But I think this is a starting point, what we're going to see more and more of down the road, for sure. Mm-hmm. And good point about Kroger testing out the distribution center for pickup. I think perhaps in the future, <laughs> grocery stores could become almost like an Amazon warehouse where they're somewhat automated to do the picking. Yeah, Bed Bath & Beyond is doing the same thing as well right now. So uh, we are seeing transitions and you have to be able, I think in today's type of economy and world, you have to be able to adapt. And I think that's key. Some of these BMS that are including department stores, it's very hard for them to transition during periods of economic downturn or external factors like this virus. So, there's going to be difficult times, but I think there's going to be a lot of adjustment happening and a lot of exciting things coming. But in the end, brick and mortar will survive, and I think it will come through stronger than ever. Out of I adversity totally comes ingenuity. Yeah, yeah. I always say that. Out of, out of adversity comes ingenuity. And I think we always, as a human race, will come out of adversity, and we will come out from this as well. No, I totally agree with you, David. Stores are not going to go away. They're going to be a key part of the mix. In fact, they are the most profitable part of the mix. It's a key of how you actually create multiple channels for consumer and you get to a balance. Ultimately, it's about to uh, get to a balanced commerce model. And I think that's possible because you see that in terms of what the online folks are doing, as you said, 
versus the offline folks. So in other words, the, the online folks are opening stores and then vice versa. The ones that have physical stores are building their digital presence. And you look at Walmart, for example, how they came back along with their services. That's really what brought them back versus a few years ago, they're being right off that Amazon was going to walk all over. <laughs> they really turned that around, didn't they? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Well, their express delivery is amazing right now. And that's something I guess we'll talk about in a bit as well. Great. Well, you guys brought up DTCs and also just how behemoths are responding during the pandemic. And there was some interesting news. It generated a lot of buzz on LinkedIn at post I made the other day, but it's PepsiCo. They launched two new direct-to-consumer websites. One is called PantryShop.com and the other is Snacks.com. And they allow customers to purchase chips, soda, sports drinks, and other snacks directly from PepsiCo brands and have them shipped to their homes. A Forbes article last week suggested that subscription services have, quote, never been easier to sell from off-the-record conversations with 12 CEOs of subscription service companies. Now, I want to note that Pepsi's offering does not seem to have a subscription component, but I think when we're talking about D2Cs, it's important to throw this news in there about subscription services uh, on the rise right now, because historically they perform best when the economy is doing well and expendable income is high. So it's a really interesting mix here. And David, I'd like to pass this to you first and just get your thoughts. Is Pepsi's new offering the right move considering the competition from Amazon, Walmart, and the like? Well, thanks, Julia. For time here, I, I'm going to include both PantryShop.com and Snack.com in the same category, although they do carry some different products. I think we're looking at basically a subscription type package here. And I think it's somewhere between Essential and Discovery. I don't know if it's quite one or the other. But to start off, I think DTC with consumer packaged goods is very different than with non consumables. For instance, like a Nike or a Dyson, they all want total control over their branding and their reputation, both online and in store. I feel that Pepsi's intention here with this subscription-like model seems like a, to me like a more of a short-term marketing play. I don't really believe it has legs. I could be wrong, but I think during COVID stay-at-home orders, consumers could, could have easily taken advantage of this. I mean, think about it. You could send gift baskets of, I hate to say it, but some sugary treats, uh, <laughs> Cheetos. <laughs> Cheetos, junk food, whatever you want, nachos. Uh, but I think people are have moved on from this and the products that they're offering, I don't think fall in line with what people are wanting or craving coming out of this pandemic. And I'll explain that in a minute. I think they're just late to the party with this coming out a couple of days ago. So to me, what is their value proposition? So there seems to be nothing really unique here. Chips, uh, sport drinks, cereals, uh, very high sugar content, widely available everywhere. So what I look at is I always look at what can we do to attract a shopper? So I look at maybe offer uh, more exclusive products to these subscription customers, enable early access perhaps to new product launches, make them a VIP. What's the hook? You know, offer free samples with subscription perhaps. And even maybe become an insider, you know, be a Doritos taste tester or a new product tester. And, <laughs> you know, this way you get, well, it, it serves two purposes. You, you get the customer involved and you get great data back and it's free data and the customer is willing to do it. 
The other question is, will consumers want multiple deliveries plus adding another online account to their list, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, to me, this is friction at its best. <laughs> yeah. Right? Setting up another online account. We don't need it, right? It's like signing up for another credit card. I mean, when you walk into Walmart, I don't need another MasterCard, right? Mm -hmm. So multiple deliveries, not convenient. It's much easier, I think, to buy it from one place, whether it's Walmart, Instacart. The second thing is, I think, is forced assortments. I feel that Pepsi is, is ramming assortments down customers' throats without having them be able to personalize their selections. As well, free shipping in two business days, really. I mean, that's business days, so three to five, perhaps. Mm -hmm. days not good enough with walmart's express enough. delivery <laughs> two hours i mean you know and also one more account to set up one more password to keep one more bookmark etc 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 so i contrast this and i know you we're talking this perhaps isn't a subscription model but for instance subscription models uh, like dollar shape club etc they offer an item that is unique it's a better quality item it's cheaper it's something they need, and it's got convenience built into it. So customers Absolutely. Are, right, are more apt to subscribe to that or even dog food where they can only get it from certain places. Mm -hmm. David, you said it doesn't really have legs. So your take is it's not a great value proposition, doesn't really have legs. You're, you're maybe on, on the cautious side saying it's, it's a no-go in a way. I know you didn't say that exactly. Tony, are you more positive about this or are you on the same page as David? Well, I think it's uh, this pandemic is one of those unusual times where it's a great time to experiment. So I think it's a good idea to experiment. I'm not sure if it's exactly going to work, partly because of what they have, but they're not the first. I mean, Unilever announced in late April that they're also doing the same. They had online sales already at 6 to 7%. Uh, during the April, they grew to 36% for the quarter. So they announced that they grew 36% for the quarter, and they said they're going to ramp up their investment to go directly to consumers. You got to remember, PepsiCo already has about $2 billion in e-commerce and without the, the DTC focus. And the DTC focus, to me, this is a perfect fit time to just experiment to see what's possible. They do have shipping and distribution capabilities based on where they're located, and they also have 23 brands that generate a billion or more, so they're, they're very popular in the market. So go test out, and can you do exactly what David said, do exclusive, create a club or a, or a tribe for specific products uh, exclusively online? So this is the time to experiment as folks are, online, are at home and looking more for experiences or differentiated experiences. Will it work? I'm not sure. It does carry risk, but it's a perfect time to go try it. Yeah, I agree, Tony. I think the launch and the rollout, though, for a company the size of PepsiCo, I think it could have been rolled out uh, with a little uh, more detail and uh, a little more excitement. Um, yeah. That's just my comment. But will it work? Yeah, it, it just might. But coming out of this pandemic, as we do come out of it, I think people are probably going to look to return to more healthier ways. I mean, we saw a huge increase in bike purchases during uh, the COVID outbreak. We did at least in Canada. I'm not sure what it was like down in the U.S., but we saw, you know, 100, 150% increases in, in bike sales. It's no different, I don't think, than, you know, after the Christmas holidays, New Year's, everyone joins a gym, right? So <laughs> I, I think people, after being isolated and shut in for two months, 
I don't really know if they're going to want to subscribe to this type of food. That's just me, but I could be wrong with America's Association for Sweets and these type of goods, but it's just my opinion. The other thing is, why not have your world-famous uh, commercial when you open the page and have your Doritos commercial with some humor injected and rather than just a stale template? So... I think there are a lot of things they can do better, you know, to make it work, to attract uh, these customers and keep them. But time will tell, I guess. But David, just to add to what you just said, to me, the key thing that they get out of this is actually getting direct, what you said, direct consumer sentiment and data in terms of what's resonating and what's not. So that actually could drive in terms of, so they're doing basically almost consumer research on uh, leveraging that brand. And it is a move that I see more of the direct folks doing. Like, for example, Nike started that process a long time ago, and they made a very successful transition. It's already a $12 billion business. They've been adding a billion every year since 2012. And in China, it, it really saved the quarter. So, for example, in China, when they went into lockdown, they shifted all the focus to working and staying connected. So working out apps, those working out apps were linked to their commerce apps. The workout apps went up 80% because people had time to exercise. But guess what? Their e-commerce went up 30%. And it actually helped save the quarter. And they had a decent quarter as a a result. So it's another way to reach a consumer and have presence. But again, it's got to be balanced to what we talked about earlier. Absolutely. Absolutely. I guess we've seen a big turnaround for Peloton. That's uh, <laughs> that's definitely been a, a big a big uh, savior. I hate to say it, some, the virus has been a savior for many companies, um, not for brick and mortar, obviously, but definitely for others. Great points from from both of you. I think the big takeaway here is what Tony and David said. Uh, you both about this is a great time for experimentation, if anything. So to get out in front of more customers is great, and to really hear what they're saying and get that feedback is going to be what makes the difference. I will say there there were some people who commented, uh, including Peter Fader at the Wharton School, and said, you know, this could be potentially a PR play. Um, and others said, you know, why would a consumer ever want to purchase from a CPG directly when we don't think in that way? We don't walk into the pantry. This was Ricardo Belmar, our advisor. Um, he said, you don't walk into the pantry and think, ah, oh, what Pepsi do- products do I need? What Coke products do I need? You think what do I need, right? So I think that will be a challenge. They might have to get a little bit more collaborative uh, with their traditional competitors. Definitely. Cool. Well, Tony, David, thank you so much for joining today. It was great to have you on the show, Tony, as always. And David, I hope to have you back in the future. Wow. Thank you very much. It was a pleasure. And like I said before, an honor. Really enjoyed the discussion. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Rethink Retail podcast. That's this week's Retail Rundown. Don't forget to join us next week for another episode. And if you're interested in being a guest on the show, apply at rethink.industries slash podcast guest. That's rethink.industries slash podcast guest. Follow us on Twitter at rethink underscore retail and show some love by subscribing, reviewing on iTunes podcast app. Until next time.